Reconstructionist Radio presents a War Room production, setting the record straight, with Pastor Gordon Runyon and friends, as they seek to dissect and understand many of the theological issues within American evangelicalism today, both in the pulpit and the pew. And welcome to this edition of Setting the Record Straight podcast. This is an interactive program, and you are encouraged to send in your own questions related to the topics of postmillennialism, theonomy, Calvinism, and presuppositionalism. You can do this on Facebook by finding the Reconstructionist Radio page or by messaging our speaker, Gordon Runyon, directly. Gordon is the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tucumcari, New Mexico. He has been a Christian Reconstructionist for 25 years and is the author of several books available at Amazon.com. There are also sermons at PodPoint.com if you're interested in listening to those. My name is Joyce Runyon, and we have some interesting topics on today's program. So without further ado, here is our teacher and my husband of 30 years, Gordon Runyon. Yay! Applause! (laughs) All right. Here we are again. Can you believe it? In our uh, in our very professional radio sound studio. Mm. <laughs> to answer all the pressing questions of the day. Yeah, there you go. What do you have for me today? Well, this is an election year. And, you know, I think in the past it was pretty much you had your Republicans and your Democrats in... You had moderate to conservative and liberal liberal people sure. in both groups. And I think now we actually have a Democratic candidate who is saying he's a socialist. Right. And, um, you know, that gives me pause. <laughs> you were <a> what? <laughs> right. Yeah. We don't have a socialist party here, sir. <laughs> right. But um, could you maybe talk a little bit about what that means? And is that something yeah. that's viable with um, post-millennialism or... Or theonomy, or any of those things, does that fit? Okay, is so is uh, is socialism biblical? Uh, no, socialism is not biblical. Mm. And the thing with Bernie Sanders is, frankly, he's just being honest, and uh, which is kind of refreshing, <laughs> right? And I'm sure that's where a lot of his popularity comes from. He's kind of the left wing version of Donald Trump, where people. Maybe don't think too much about the policies that he's talking about, but they like the fact that he's saying things that nobody else is saying, and yeah, and uh, saying them with some conviction, and kind of not giving a darn what the media thinks about what he has to say. Yeah, and there's some attractiveness in that. You know, I'll be honest. I'm there's no way I'll vote for Donald Trump, but he's entertaining and uh, refreshing. I kind of <laughs> like the fact that he's yeah. blowing things up. You know. But uh, Bernie Sanders admits to being a democratic socialist is what he calls it. And, uh, and again, my, my thought on that is that all the candidates that are now left standing in the field are socialists. They really are. Even Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. Uh, all of them believe that the government has the right, if it needs to, to come and take however much money from you that they want to take. And uh, they don't have any problem with the concept that that your stuff really does belong to the government, 
if they want it. So you really have uh, not a whole lot of rights, basically. <laughs> right, right. Now you've gotten milder forms of that. You know, Ted Cruz, he's talked about wanting to go to a 10% flat tax or something like that, but uh, he hasn't stated any kind of moral reason why the government shouldn't take more than that or, you know, why it shouldn't just do anything that it wants to do. So what is socialism? It really is It really is kind of that idea that at the end of the day, the government has a right to take from you whatever it wants. That's a little bit different than full-blown communism. Okay. We were talking about that just a little bit earlier. And the key thought in communism is that the state or the collective owns all the uh, all the means of production. Uh, like if there's a factory... Mm-hmm. That's not going to be owned by by a corporation. That's going to be owned by the government. Farm implementation and farm land are not going to be owned by an individual. They'll be owned by the collective, by the government. So if you're going to have a house or an apartment, they'll pretty much tell you, here's your apartment. This is where you live right. and this is what you have. And Right. And they'll say, see, we believe in private property. This is your this is your kitchen table. And you can you're free to treat that like yours. But when it comes to the the tools and the implements that you might need in order to actually create wealth. Uh, yeah, the government owns that under communism. Under socialism, the ownership, I'm convinced the 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 differences are just kind of a veneer. Mm-hmm. Because under socialism, although they may let you keep these things that communism won't let you keep, or and you can claim to own them, Still, come tax time, they're going to come and take however much of that they feel like they want in terms of value and all of that. So, well, yeah. I guess I'm just really shocked that we have people thinking that that's a reasonable thing. Right. It, like, and it's it a good just, thing. right? It maybe they see it as equality, making everybody oh, sure. the same yeah, fairness. Yeah. But um, you really have no opportunity. Or anything right exactly you know our, the american dream was you could come here and have nothing right and make yourself right. into something you work could, hard yeah and, yeah you could have a vehicle you could have a home you could have <laughs> right. you know everything that you wanted to if you were willing to work for it and now it seems like right. everybody just wants to have everything that they want right. without having to work yeah, for no it doubt. and so socialism no is like well, if I can have all these things, if I can right. have health care, and if I can have income without having to work for these Shoot. things, then that's yeah. a great deal. But yeah. it's not its not a realistic, that's right. <laughs> workable well, deal. Yeah, and you know, you'd, I, I feel like it would be more excusable if these young folks that are flocking to Bernie Sanders, if there was any country in the world you could point to as a socialistic success, mm, yeah. then I could see them saying that. You know? Yeah. And you hear Bernie sometimes they'll point to Denmark as a socialistic paradise, and then, and then people in Denmark hear about that and send social media stuff to us saying, "No, no, <laughs> not so good here." <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, we're seriously talking about a ninety percent upper income tax rate mm-hmm. in some of these places. Uh, yeah, it is ridiculous. And like I say, historically, it's never worked. And I'm convinced the reason that it's never worked is because it does fly in the face of some pretty basic biblical principles. Ah, and what might these principles be? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first most basic one would be the Eighth Commandment, where it says, Thou shalt not steal. 
Mm. And uh, now I'm not saying that everything that, you know, I'm not, well, I am. Taxes are theft. And uh, and for the government to come and take your stuff, that really is stealing. But it's not armed robbery like we generally think of it. It can get there. Yeah, not know. usually. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they can garnish your pay and they can take your things. Exactly. And, yeah. The threat of violence is always there. But I guess when people hear the Eighth Commandment, they probably don't automatically think about government there. Mm -hmm. But but that really is true. The government, the basic concept, the government is not allowed to break the laws of God that you and I are required to keep. Yeah. And, and uh, that's a really basic biblical uh, concept in terms of civil government. Uh, so... And then my point that I've made in a couple of different places, which you can find at Amazon.com, by the way, are is the concept that when God gives a command, it may be stated in the negative, like thou shalt not steal. Mm -hmm. But there's a correlating positive uh, responsibility there. Okay. Or there's a correlating positive injunction. And I mean that when it says thou shalt not steal... The necessary implication is God thinks that your stuff should remain your stuff. And mm -hmm. I don't get to come and take your stuff. And so what does that create? I, that creates a right to private property. Yeah. And you see that throughout the Bible. And, and I don't think yeah. a lot of people have really kind of thought that whole process through that. I can't steal this because it's not mine. Right. You and, know, and, and that's a huge deal. Exactly. And, and God set it up that way. And, and so uh, throughout the Bible, you see men who are zealous over their lands and, and, uh, and over their property. You see a lot of punishments in the law for theft, mm -hmm. double restitution, and sometimes yeah. more than that. And, and uh, yeah, so it's pretty obvious that according to God's morality and God's injunctions on the government, you have a right to your stuff. And uh, as long as you're not doing evil yeah. with your stuff, you have a right to it. And so in a biblical society, uh, a government has no more right to come steal your stuff than the guy living next door to you does. Well, and then also in the biblical standard that if you had gotten into financial trouble and had to sell all of your stuff, yeah, eventually there would come a time when all that stuff should revert back to you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you had Jubilee laws and, and so, Sabbath years you know, and stuff like that. That's a uh, that's a pretty strong concept in there that even if you mess things up, yeah, there was a restoration in that. So. Yeah, right, right, and and that I think those Sabbath laws were specifically tied to the land, mm -hmm. so I wouldn't be in favor of having that kind of law today. But but the, your point is valid. You can see just the fact that even if I completely mess up and I become a derelict and. I'm an indentured servant now and stuff like that. There comes a time when God restores my stuff mm -hmm. and, and, and it really is my stuff. And, uh, and so the Bible really does teach a system of economics that's founded on private property ownership. And really the only system of economics that we know of that allows that is what secularists refer to as the free market. Mm -hmm. economy and and any other system which has the government coming in and trying to centrally plan the economy and control it and 
or pick winners and losers through mm -hmm. crony capitalism or something like that. That's not capitalism. That's something other than the free market coming in. Well, but what about outside of Israel? Uh, you know, uh, we hear that all the time. And I just want to point out that when the, when the Bible uh, foresees Israel having a king, it laid out some pretty specific rules. And I just want to read a couple of texts from, or a couple of verses from Deuteronomy 17. Starting in verse 19, it says, it's talking about the king. Mm -hmm. And it says, uh, well, starting in verse 18. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not mm. turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, in order that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Now I think that one of those last phrases there, the king is not allowed to turn to the right or to the left with regard to the law of God. He's not allowed to innovate. He's not allowed to... Reinterpret. <laughs> right. He's not allowed to see, oh, look at this glaring need over here. What we need is, if only I could depart from the law a little bit and mm -hmm. go over there and meet that need. Uh, no, not allowed. Uh, we get, we theonomists uh, kind of get criticized for believing in a regulative principle of government. Like, if the law doesn't say it, then it's not allowed. But I think it's pretty clear there. The, yeah. the king's not allowed to turn to the left or to the right. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> if I could just point out one other thing. When they did, when they were ready to cross into the promised land under Joshua, this sort of thing is, is uh, repeated toward him. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, uh, the word of God to Joshua is, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses thy servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right, that you may have success wherever you go. So then that repeated commandment. Uh, you're not allowed to make things up, and you're not allowed to just wing it as you go. And, and uh, so... Uh, my concept is, if if that's the way God feels about his law, why would we want to live in a society that was departing to either the right or the left? Mm -hmm. If he's the one that gave the perfect standard of justice, yeah. how are you going to improve on I that? I was just thinking that, you yeah. know, what he gave us was perfect. And so, really, you're going to do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then, you know, I think this brings us back to the book that you've written that we've talked about. I've mentioned, at least, with the resistance to tyrants. And a lot of people in the church think, you know, well, the government should and will do whatever they want to, and we really are not able to do anything about right. it. But yeah. um, God has established that ruler or your president or, or all those things, and uh, he can disestablish them as Absolutely. well, you know, and, yeah. and uh, we yeah. can't just bow down and say, I have no voice here. <laughs> you know, we've, we've done right. that too long, and that's part of the problem. Yeah, and especially... Now, we're not supposed to be rebels and, and all that, and I know that's not what you're saying, but but you are right. When the when the government's doing things that are in conflict with the law of God, even the people who think that we should bow down and basically be doormats to the government, they'll still kind of give this lip service to the idea that, 
well, when they tell us something that's against the word of God, we're supposed to disobey. But, you know, with this concept of the not, you're not allowed to turn to the right or to the left. Well, really? You know, <laughs> pretty straightforward. Right? And that means that the government shouldn't be allowed to tax me like they are. Yeah. And uh, and most of the pietistic sorts of Christians who want us to just be the doormats, they're not thinking in terms of that. Or the uh, or the Department of Education. The law of God doesn't give the government any right to educate children. Mm-hmm. So That's where, the parents' right, uh, right, actually. Exactly. Right and Your duty. Your duty. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so where are the pietists standing up against these encroachments against the Word of God? Mm-hmm. Well, they're nowhere because they're where they're going to be comfortable and not be challenged. And, and that's just the way it is. Now, the other thing that happens with the socialist argument, you'll have Christians who propose to you that Jesus had some socialist leanings. Mm. Have you ever heard that before? What if they base this on? <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of it is just a kind of a myth that they've developed out of whole cloth. You'll almost, a lot of times you'll, you'll hear liberal leaning Christians talk like, well, Jesus just came and he reached out to the outcast and the the uh, members of society who were dominated by the powerful. That's who he reached out to. And, and uh, you know what? He did reach out to them, but his message was to repent. Yeah. Well, he reached yeah. out to everyone. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of the with other the people same got message. offended. Yeah, with the same message. And said, I don't think yeah. I like you. <laughs> right. So, you know... It wasn't a, a targeted thing that I'm just going to work with the poor and downtrodden. <laughs> oh, it's right. just that they're usually a little bit more open to saying, yeah, I need help. <laughs> right. My situation is not good. Yeah. Well, so, right. And and so socialists will sometimes point to the fact that Jesus does say that it's a good thing to help the poor and to give your money to feed the poor and and stuff like that. If you see a man that has no cloak, you're but supposed those to are clothe all him. Your choices then. I mean, you've been given this, this is what you should do. Right. Well, that's it exactly. But he, they're not, you know, he didn't say, I'm going to take all your stuff. And, and you know, even in the book of Acts, <laughs> they were so much in one mind that they said, you know, this is all just stuff and it doesn't matter. And <laughs> right. let's just pull everything yeah. and whoever needs something will take care of it. Uh, yeah. But it was still within the church. It wasn't just. Um, yeah. And everybody had control of their own money until yeah. they decided to give it. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, the incident with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, mm. if you want to look at that. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but there are a couple of places where I think socialist Jesus just does not fit with the actual Jesus that's in the Bible. Uh, a couple of places that stick out to me, at least, a couple of parables that he told. One is in Matthew chapter... Uh, whoops, I lost my page. One is in Matthew in chapter 20. Oops. <laughs> well, this is live radio. <laughs> I was thinking that they might have called him a socialist just because, you know, he fed so many people and oh, yeah, did yeah, all yeah. that. Give free stuff. food. Yeah, yeah but yeah, he, he but didn't steal that food from somebody no, first. Yeah, that's right. That's true. And he had more after they were finished anyway. So <laughs> the guy wound up with a little bit extra. Right. See how socialism works? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so in Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the laborers and their wages, 
it's a long text, so I won't read it all here, but Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1 and going to verse 16, this is the parable where Jesus talks about a landowner who goes out in the first hour of the day and hires people to work in his in his field or his vineyard and uh, mm-hmm. agrees to pay them their day's wages. Later he goes out and gets more, and later he goes out and gets more. Yeah. And when there's only one hour left in the workday, he goes and gets even more. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he goes to pay them their wages at the end of the day. Uh, let's see. Also, I'll read from here in verse 8. When the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. And they also received each one a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to each one of, to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Now hear this. This goes against every socialist principle in the world. Mm-hmm. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Thus the last shall be first and the first last. So the whole point there is that uh, the vineyard owner there, who I think is supposed to stand for God or uh, the Lord Jesus himself, Mm -hmm. the vineyard owner is in charge of his stuff. And there's no government agency that comes around and tells him, Oh, we don't like the way you're paying your workers' wages. Yeah, we're yeah. going to have to censor you. <laughs> we're going to create a minimum wage law here and make yeah. sure that everything is fair. Uh, and, you know, I just think that's going to be one of the things being screamed repeatedly in hell. It's not fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's is one it? of. <laughs> Yeah, right after, pretty much right after children learn to uh, grab t- things that don't belong to them, about the first thing they learn is how to say, that's not fair. And it comes from the same place, really, that that idea. The other parable that I'd like to point out is the parable of the, the nobleman who goes on a long journey in Luke chapter 19, and he, he leaves his workers with a uh, hundred... Was it no? It was one mina a piece. He leaves his workers with one mina, which is a hundred days' wages, and he tells them, "With this money, go and do business, mm-hmm. and when I return, we'll settle accounts and see what you did." Now, in that in that parable, uh, a couple of those workers who went out and did business came back with more than what they were given. Right, the one yeah. mina, uh, he gotten five more minas, and and the other one had gotten two, and and then you find one guy at the end who had buried his mina in the ground. That's all he had. Yeah, well, the, the thing that... Let me turn to it here because nobody's going to believe this. Because it's so not fair. <laughs> Luke chapter 19. And the parable says there... Uh, okay, so... Uh, the first guy appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. He said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. Be in authority over ten cities. 
second one came saying, uh, your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. Mm-hmm. And another came saying, master, behold your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he gets upset with the guy and he casts him out. And he says to the bystanders in verse 24, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. What? That's not fair. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. (laughs) No. And then uh, verse 26, Then Bernie Sanders promised to take away all the minas from the ten mina guy and distribute them equally. (laughs) To the bystanders. (laughs) (laughs) Right, even to the bystanders. That's right. Is that really what's there? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so you hear implied in there, they didn't say it, but Master, he has ten minas already. What is that? That's not fair. Yeah. And socialism is completely founded on this idea that there are certain people the elites, the anointed class, there are certain people who are so smart and so perceptive Mm -hmm. that they should be making the decisions for everybody else. And if only we would put these right smart people in charge, we'd all live better because they know how to run the entire economy and and make things fair. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. And and again... There's a there's a certain level at which, man, that sounds good. We could all live in this worker's paradise where nobody actually works, and yet we've still got all our, our goods and services and stuff like that. But again, that every time it's tried, it's failed. Yeah. And here we are looking at it again. Well, it seems to me that it really boils down to issues of stewardship. Oh, yeah. And you can't... If you don't have anything, you can't be a steward over it. Yeah, And I think in realizing that, that I do have these things, but I have these things because God has allowed me to have them. Yeah. Then that changes your perception on how do I work with these gifts that he's given me. If it's money, if it's wisdom, whatever that thing is, it's not necessarily just finances. Sure. And uh, I think I heard that on Sunday, actually. You must have a good preacher. (laughs) Uh, He's all right. (laughs) But, you know, and I think you said even last time we spoke that, um, you know, finding your place in that garden and doing the work that's set for you. Right. And and ultimately that is being a good steward of all of those things. And it's not just finances. Maybe it's uh, being a mom at home taking care of your kids or trying to, Teach them and no doubt. and doing those things or going out as a man and providing for your family and um, being a faithful witness. You know, everything you do. Yeah, of course. And uh, I think the modern church has perverted the whole concept of stewardship. You know, like I said yesterday in the sermon, I didn't even want to use the word until we were too deep in the sermon for, <laughs> for people, people to, tune you out. to run away. <laughs> right? Because you... We, Pastor says stewardship, and what does everybody think the message is going to be about? How much money did I put in the plate? Yeah. And church needs more money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not what stewardship is about. Uh, I use the illustration there of uh, Abraham who sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. And uh, and he sent his servant with ten donkeys. No, <laughs> not donkeys. He sent his servant with ten camels that were laden with treasure. Yep. And 
it was his discretion when to spend that, when to use that as a bride price to pay for, pay the girl's family. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so the servant came back with far less treasure than he left with, but he came back with the thing that Abraham sent him for, yeah. which was a wife. And so my hypothetical situation is, let's say he had gone on this mission and he hadn't found a wife. But he had come back, instead of with 10 camels, now he comes back with 20 camels. And man, they're loaded up with treasure. Yeah. You know what Abraham would have said? Bad job. You, you failed. <laughs> epic, epic <laughs> right. fail. You failed in your mission. Yeah. And why? Because stewardship isn't about, uh, we had this much resources at the beginning, and now sometime later we have this much. That's, that's only secondarily, mm -hmm. at best, what stewardship is. Stewardship is about... God has given you this, this bag of resources, whatever is in there, like you said, time, talents, energy, mm -hmm. opportunity, money. God has given you this bag of resources, and he's given you a specific mission. Mm -hmm. And so stewardship means using all those resources in the pursuit of that mission. And so you think about a guy like Jim Elliott, the missionary who... Uh, who gave away everything in order to fund his mission to the Indians. Uh, I forget what the name of the tribe was. Akawa, Akua, something like that. Starts with an A. Aka, maybe. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, but anyway, the point is, uh, people said, oh, you're crazy. You're selling all your stuff to go minister to there, and they're probably going to kill you, which they did yeah. almost immediately. Yeah. But what he said to them was, it is not bad stewardship for me to give away the things that I cannot keep yeah. in order to take hold of what cannot be stolen from me. And uh, honestly, that's where stewardship is. How are you going to use what God has given you? And socialism rips the guts out of that. Because yeah. now what God has given you... Doesn't belong to it's, you. It's not yours. Yeah. yeah. The great God government is going to take what it needs. Yeah, so that's why I'd encourage everybody. If you've been taught all your life that the only time you're supposed to disobey the government is when, uh, is when they're disobeying the law of God, well, guess what? They're disobeying the law of God in their socialism. Yeah, and it, it really is time to find uh, nonviolent, godly ways to resist that. And with that, I think we will. Go ahead and end this podcast and say, to God be the glory. Go out and be good stewards to the glory of Jesus Christ. Bye, all. Bye. Thank you for joining Pastor Gordon Runyon and friends as they set the record straight. Visit us at reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks. books.